Proverbs chapter 31. After this evening, we will move to several other passages of Scripture regarding uh, the role of women. And uh, so, I thank the Lord for the number of messages that we have had. I say messages as I announced at the very beginning. These have not been expository sermons by any stretch of the imagination. They've simply been studies, a a loose collection of studies regarding um, these very important matters. Perhaps the day will come when we will uh, uh, actually have a series of expository messages. But these have simply been gleanings, so to speak, uh, from various portions of Scripture using chapter 31 as a springboard, but we have been considering this uh, portion of Scripture, verses 10 through 31, uh, uh, throughout our our time together, and we'll read it one more time this evening. Beginning of verse 10, brethren, this is God's holy word. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considered a field, or considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand, to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to encourage our hearts in the reading of this blessed word. A virtuous woman is more rare than the finest rubies. A man should praise God if he finds one and praise her for her godly life. A woman should seek God's grace to be one. A boy should be instructed that this is the kind of wife to seek. And a girl should be instructed to seek Jesus Christ and His grace that He might one day fashion her to be one. The virtuous woman is the delight of her husband a gift of God's grace to her children and a blessing to all her household 
and those who come under her roof. In her holy life, she is a portrait of what the rule of Jesus Christ and His Word in the heart looks like. She embodies, at the close of Proverbs, the wisdom that is found throughout. So we have come to this wonderful passage numerous times in the last few months to hear the Word of God regarding virtuous womanhood. The Spirit of God has plainly shown us that all of what she is flows from her fear of the Lord. That's the key. We're not simply talking about being a busy religious woman. We can find lots of those. This is a woman who knows her God, who has been transformed by the regenerating grace of God, and whose heart is the dwelling place of God and His Word, and is therefore a portrait of His wisdom. As you remember, the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the children of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his Father's law. She gives us a vision here of God's kingdom in daily life. In other words, while we look at some of these things, sowing, preparing food, Rising early. Uh, so many of the things that are uh, we might call mundane, just uh, the regular stuff of life. This is wisdom laid out in a heart made new by Christ. It is quite tragic to me to read modern commentaries when you read some of the older commentaries, you hear them extolling the virtues of this woman, blessing God for such a woman, encouraging uh, women to emulate uh, such a blessed model here. And yet the, 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 the newer commentaries sound almost apologetic and they make clear their agendas by saying, you know, we need to make sure that this passage is not used to put women in bondage like it's been used so much in the past. Just testimony to how much feminism has utterly deteriorated the minds of many of these spineless theologians. It is, it is tragic to see the things that we are seeing today. And it is it is one thing to see the lost the lost world saying, Ah, you poor Christian women, ah, you're you're one step away from being like Islamic women. All you need is a veil and just walk around in your misery. It is it is heart rending to the very core to hear Christians mouthing this type of thing. May God be pleased to sweep across our nation and our churches and revive in us a desire to bow to His Word rather than to use it for, his, for our personal agendas. Well, here is a blessed vision And I do trust that you ladies have been profiting thus far from our collections of studies here. Thus far, we have considered the definition of a virtuous woman's godly fear. And then we spent quite a number of weeks considering the manifestation of the godly woman or the virtuous woman's godly fear. And that brings us to a third point that we announced some weeks ago, the fruit of a virtuous woman's godly fear.
the fruit of a virtuous woman's godly fear. So we want to consider that as our primary head this evening uh, with just a few subheadings. Now, as we have observed, a virtuous woman is all that she is because she is in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that this text does not say that uh, in those words. But brethren, what we see throughout all of Scripture is that those who are God's elect, those who are His chosen from before the foundation of the world, those who manifest the godliness that comes only by the work of the Holy Spirit, do so because of the gracious work of God in their lives. This is not a woman who just turns over a new leaf and says, well, I'm going to stop being a soap opera watching a feet up, bonbon eating woman, and I'm going to get really busy, and I'm going to take some sewing courses, and I'm going to go to church. This is not what it's about. This is about displaying the wisdom that has been unfolded in 31 chapters, and it is set before us as a woman going about the day-to-day work that God has appointed for her. Of course, this is not all there is to a woman's work, either domestically or outside of the home. It is intended, it is not intended to be that. But as we will see tonight, the Proverbs speak about women numerous ways. There's some very negative portraits of women here. And isn't it fascinating, and it should be an encouragement to all of you sisters, that the book of Proverbs, which is addressed essentially from a father to uh, a son, to show him how to live, closes with the portrait of a woman. Not a son, but a woman. Now that's led to a lot of discussion. Why in the world would that be the case? But the regardless of, of the, the things we might be able to speculate as to why, one thing is certain. This blessed woman created in the image of God is the expression of wisdom. And it is seen in all of these things set forth. And it is for this very reason that she is rare and that the man of God should seek to uh, marry, to know. These are the kind of women to seek out because they are exceedingly rare. She is so because of God's work in her life. This is why she fears the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, though He had not come as the incarnate Messiah, was clearly at work in His people throughout the Old Covenant. Now, this blessed and virtuous woman believes God, affectionately reveres and obeys His Word, and displays the wisdom that is found in Proverbs in her day-to-day life. She is the portrait, or maybe I should say, she is she's the, the, the summary of what wisdom has been presented to us as in 30 chapters prior to this one. <clears throat> now, we want to consider verses 28 through 31 this evening as we come to our close uh, of this portion of our studies in womanhood. Verse 28 says, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Now we're talking about the fruit of the virtuous woman. This is why we entitle this message, Thou excellest them all. Because we see her praised and blessed in this last portion of this particular passage. Now, 
The first we see is the blessing she receives from her children. The blessing she receives from her children. It says her children arise up and call her blessed. Now, <clears throat> rising up may not be a, something that makes a picture in our minds immediately. And a part of that is because in the, the cultures in which this was written, God's Word plainly instructs the Lord's people to revere fathers and mothers and the aged. We saw a little of that on the Lord's Day when we saw the Lord Jesus Christ with His white hair as white as snow embodying all that is eternal wisdom, infinite wisdom. The idea of rising up is showing reverence. In other words, these children have got a hold of something. They thank God for the mother that He has given them. They bless her. They desire God's mercies and His showers of kindness upon her. They wish for her good things. Why? Because they have seen her the closest of all people. Who knows a mother like children? Who spends the most time with our children in almost any culture? It is usually the mother. Of course, there are exceptions. But it is usually the mother. Who's there, children, when your tummy hurts? Who's there when you're catching a cold? Who fixes uh, that wonderful uh, food for you every day? Who cleans up your knee when you fall and, and scrape it? And who kisses you throughout the day and kisses your wounds and kisses you when you do well and wisely kisses you after she disciplines you? Kisses you before you go to bed at night? Who reads to you and reminds you what God's Word says that you're to be? Your mother. That should certainly be the case. Let's turn over to uh, 1 Timothy for just a moment. <clears throat> Paul has some interesting things to say to Timothy. If you will look in chapter... I'm sorry, I said to 1 Timothy. I'm in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, <clears throat> verse 15, and that, that, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now, if you'll turn over to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, we'll understand why he knew the scriptures as of a child. Verse 5. Paul, in fact, let's back up to verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. That means the genuine thing, the real faith. Nothing phony about it. The unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. How is it that Timothy knew the Scriptures from a child? 
wasn't because he was a child prodigy and just decided to get up and uh, petition his parents to go buy him a nice Bible down at the Christian bookstore. It didn't happen. He had a mother who loved him and taught him the Word of God. Again, we shouldn't be surprised at this. When we go back to Proverbs chapter 31, let's remember where we began. That chapter is King Lemuel being instructed by whom? His mother. Let's never forget that Proverbs 31 is apparently authored by King Lemuel's mother. She taught him, she at least taught him this poem if she did not in fact actually write it. We're not sure. But we know this. She instructed him in it. Here is a godly mother instructing her son. She's giving instruction to a king. Blessed nation that has leaders taught by such mothers. Do you think Timothy remembered Eunice with the greatest affection and joy? Do you think that he praised and blessed God every day once he closed with Christ under the preaching of Paul and all of those scriptures that his mother had taught him came into stark clarity and he began to realize that from a child his mother had taught him these glorious things that now through the, the gracious and guiding hand of Paul he had come to understand that these things were of Christ. Oh, what a glorious joy must have welled up in his heart when he thinks of the word mother. Certainly Lemuel, if he followed his mother's wise counsel and found a virtuous woman, do you think that he would not praise God every day? That the very character of the woman that is his beloved, was something that he had been instructed in by his own beloved mother. The virtuous woman is a teacher. We as men, uh, doing what we can to walk according to the Word of God and trying to reinstill in our sadly feminist day a sense of uh, male leadership should never back away from the very clear passages of Scripture where women teach. Ladies, you should know the Word of God. Let me read you a little something. Susanna Wesley was the mother of Charles and John Wesley. She had 19 children altogether. Now, we, we think we've got some pretty big families here. That's, that's a number that goes past many of us even be, being able to, to imagine. She had 19 children altogether and is said to have set aside at least two hours daily for private devotions. Now, I'm not here to put the chain of legalism around anyone's neck and say, now, if you're, if you're not acting like Susanna Wesley, you're not spiritual. But the reason I'm bringing this up is simply to say, ladies, when there's desire in the heart, we can find a way to rear our children with our husband's help and with uh, the Lord's grace. You can find that time with Christ. It may be difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. Now imagine that only nine of her children actually lived to be adults. Throughout all this time of bearing children, nursing them, teaching children, instructing them, seeking God's face daily for the grace 
to rear these children, to be burying so many of them. What an incredible hardship. But all of the children she taught the basic subjects while disciplining them to study and read. She was a homeschooler. That is astounding. She herself was the youngest of 25 children. (laughs) These are numbers that in our day we've been told to run away from. And again, I'm not saying this is any kind of law, but what... When, when the Word of God said, be fruitful and multiply, God's people throughout the ages have not had any problem saying, well, that's what we need to do. And they've done that. Some of you know that a large family can be a tremendous blessing. I say all these things to say this. It may be difficult. It may be extraordinarily difficult. You may be challenged down to the very core every day in order just to walk in the light of the things that we see here, but if you are faithful, seeking your God, closing with Christ daily for the grace to be what He's made you, and loving and caring for those children under your husband's gracious guidance and hopeful help, you have every reason to believe The day will come where they will stand in your reverence and praise God for you and bless God and bless you. I praise and thank the Lord that I have a mother who faithfully prayed for me year after year after year after year and there didn't seem to be any obvious results. I seemed to be getting further and further away from the things that she was praying about. But the day came when God in His mercy sent the glorious Spirit to haul in the fruit of her prayers. Pray. Sisters, pray and faithfully teach your children. They will bless you. And let me say to you children, do you bless your mama now? You should. You older children, you're old enough now to begin to understand a little bit of the sacrifice that your mother and father have made for you. Not, it still hasn't hit you yet. But you're beginning to see something of the extraordinary sacrifice. I happen to know that some of you out there have had virtuous women as your mothers. Do you bless them? Is it a part of your regular living? Not only to thank God for her, but to tell her that you do. Bless God and bless your mother. The virtuous woman is blessed here. We may be sure that every time Timothy thought of his blessed mother Eunice, he praised God and surely it had to come from his own lips. Mother, I thank you. I thank you for the hours you poured into me. I thank you for teaching me. I thank you for feeding me. I thank you for cleaning me up. I thank you for clothing me. But I thank you for living Christ before me most. This is part of honoring our fathers and mothers. The Lord has set in His eternal law that mothers are to be honored. It is a shame that our nation only thinks to do that once a year. It should be a regular part of our thinking to honor our mothers. You should honor them. Husbands, you should be, and fathers, you should be teaching your children to honor your, uh, their mothers. The Lord Jesus Christ exemplified this as He Himself hung upon the cross, dying the death that was reserved for criminals, hanging there in His shame and in His agony, when His heart could have been 
filled with hatred and anger for those who had nailed Him to the cross, had He been simply a mortal man, He was looking down from His misery upon His own mother and taking care of her in His dying breath. John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw His mother. What an incredible, incredible moment, brethren. Messiah hung upon the cross, His life's blood pouring out. And as He looks down in His agony and the throes of His suffering, He sees his mother looking up at his dire agony. The Lord also saw the disciples standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And John took her in and took care of her. Ladies, your labors are not in vain in the Lord. The very Christ of God blessed His mother as He hung upon the tree. Not only blessing from her children, there's praise from her husband. Praise from her husband. You'll notice... That it says back in Proverbs verse twenty eight, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Now this is not talking about bowing down. This is not talking about taking fans and uh, waving plumes at her. This is talking about taking her life as exemplified in her words and her deeds and thanking God for her and encouraging and blessing and honoring and thanking her. Now, men are generally quite adept at letting women know when they're not happy with the way things are going. They've got a complaint, they're pretty quick to make that known. They've got a criticism, they can point that out in a, in a split second. To praise their wives, they're not so fast. But men, you should be praising and encouraging your wife in the very great and difficult job she has in serving her God under your headship. Hopefully it isn't your headship that is making it difficult. But it is a great trial for a person who can think and sometimes thinks faster than we do as men to be able to, to, to submit herself to someone who is quick to criticize and very, very slow to honor. You see, Right here, because she does him good all the days of her life, he should be honoring her. He should be praising her. And she should know it. You shouldn't just be saying to friends and neighbors, Oh, I've got a great wife. I've got a wonderful wife. She's so helpful. I don't know what I'd do without her. She's my strong right arm. Do you ever tell her that? Peter tells us in chapter 3 of his epistle in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that means your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. 
It's a little frightening to think that maybe tonight our prayer meeting could have been a little more fervent if all the husbands here had spent a good bit of time this week honoring their wives. Have you ever thought that maybe our prayers on the Lord's Day, our prayers when we gather for prayer meeting, our individual times in our prayer closets or our studies or wheresoever we study men could be hindered, slowed down, bottlenecked because we're not praising the wives God has given us? What an amazing thought. Dead prayer meeting. Wow, the prayer meeting didn't was kind of lifeless tonight. Well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. But the first thing we probably ought to do is say, how was I this week in my house? <laughs> how did I handle my wife? How did I handle my wife and my children? How, how did I do that? Think back how many complaints you had and think back how often you thanked and honored your wife. The Lord ties these things together. I think it's not surprising given the kind of views that have crept into the churches of Jesus Christ about men and women have not, uh, not almost altogether squelched prayer. Praise that woman. Encourage her. Now, I'm not saying that if she's living in flagrant disobedience to the Word of God, that you're just to turn your glance another way and just say everything's wonderful. Hey, I praise you. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about anything phony here. You should be guiding your home according to the Word of God. But her following along with a faulty vessel like you is going to be a challenge all of her days. She's commanded to submit to you according to the Word of God. Be someone that she can thank God. She can thank God for as a head. And you husbands, I encourage you with all my heart, think upon your wives for good and look for ways to bless and honor her. <clears throat> and I thought, as a way of provoking that a little bit, we'd look at some of the contrasts in Scripture this evening. <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, there are women mentioned in the Scripture, both good and bad. Let's look at some of the wicked women for just a few moments, and then that should give us some cause to rejoice as we think about the virtuous women that we see in Proverbs. And we want to praise and thank God for any of the glimmers that we see of those things in our dear wives. And let us not sit and simply complain, but be used of God in grace to help fashion and shape them in that kind of beauty. And when I say that, I don't mean getting up every day and being a straitjacket. I don't mean just sitting up, getting up every day and giving her a list of commands. Talking about living before her as Christ loves the church. Learning how to wash her feet and encourage her according to the Word of God. Well, Proverbs speaks of strange women, evil women, whorish women, foolish women, clamorous women, contentious women, and brawling and adulterous women. Now, hopefully, none of us could sit and say, hmm, that sounds like the one I'm married to. I certainly hope that would not be the case. I trust that this wouldn't be the case for any of you women. But why are they here in the Proverbs? Because a great deal of wisdom is tied up in understanding the character of of women. 
virtuous women and those who are not. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, the Solomon is teaching his son and we have this great wisdom coming forth. It says, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Here's a father wisely teaching his son about the wrong kind of woman. Fathers, you need to know how to do this. You need to learn skillfully, according to the Word of God, how to understand these truths and to carefully, cautiously, but firmly implant them in your son's thinking. They're a type of women he needs to avoid. He needs to avoid. Because if he ties himself up to a woman like this, there won't be any praising flowing from his lips, either to God or to the woman. There are women that destroy the soul. Look at the contrast. It says, I want to tell you these things. I want to give you the Word of God, my son. And I want to give you wisdom to deliver you from the strange, the alien woman, the woman who is walking outside of God's covenant, the woman who is not walking faithfully according to the Word of God. This is an immoral woman, a woman who is not being faithful to what God has called His people to be. This is given in the context of the Old Covenant. And this is why it speaks of her in verse 17 as being the one who forgetteth the covenant of her God. Because the covenant of God enjoins women to be pure and holy and righteous. And there are women who don't walk in purity. Not only those who give themselves to men outside of the bonds of marriage, but those who actually enjoy the seduction. Well, his father said, Son, there's some women you need to learn to avoid. Oh, how a man who is married to a godly woman can praise and thank his God that he's not married to someone whose paths are under the dead. She forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. None that go unto her, none that go to this wicked woman, lay hold of the paths of life. The Scriptures do plainly say that sometimes when God is judging a man, He'll turn them over to wicked women. Those that engage in uncleanness and He gives them to their destruction. He lets them have their passions to their own damnation. How we ought to praise and thank God for a woman who wants to walk with Christ. Chapter 6, verse 23. Once again, the Father instructing, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil Woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Son, there's some real snares out there. And you're going to have to learn to identify them and avoid them. And one of the most dangerous is the tongue of an evil woman. She speaks smooth words. She flatters and draws you in. He says, lust not after her beauty in thine heart. There's an outward beauty to her. You're drawn to her. 
You see the importance of a godly father and a mother like King Lemuel's who teaches his son what a virtuous woman is. Look at the contrast. The virtuous woman on her tongue is the law of kindness. She speaks the wisdom of God from her tongue. But this woman speaks flatteries that draws you in. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Don't let her physical beauty be that which captures you in and of itself. Make sure there's a beautiful heart. The Father says, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. That means he loses everything. Brethren, I've talked to men who've lost everything over their weakness. Unclean women. Jobs, money, family, wife, children, everything. And these are everywhere. The virtuous woman is rare. And it is when we see the darkness of the harsh women. And by the way, that's the kind we're constantly being bombarded with everywhere we go. Television does not give you virtuous women. Hollywood is not interested in virtuous women. It points young men to evil women, to whorish women. And it says, And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. These are real warnings from the Word of God. And it is when we see these set forth before us, we can praise and bless God if we have a wife whose desire is to be virtuous. Glory to God. Some of you men ought to get on your faces right now and thank God that you didn't end up some of the, with some of the women that you chased. Chapter 7, verse 5. Father, once again says, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the woman, the stranger which flattereth with her words. There she is again. For at the windows of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple youths, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, and he went to the way of her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman in the attire of an harlot. Once again, we have a striking contrast. When we read of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she's clothed and it is clear that she is modestly and chastely clothed. And we'll see some of that in some of our other passages later on. But the Scriptures speak of the attire of an harlot, the kind of clothing worn to display and to draw men's gaze in a sensual way. That's what we get on the billboards. That's what we get in most of the catalogs that come to the house. I mean, there's some catalogs I don't like even showing up in my mailbox. And yet it's just standard to teach young men, young women to love this sensual clothing. It's tragic to think how many potential fathers have the image of Britney Spears as the kind of woman they, they, they want to... Uh, to possess. And that they're going to be fathers. They're going to be husbands. What's going to happen when they're 
daughters want to dress or undress. I'm not just picking on Brittany. You just go down the rostrum of the movie stars, of the singers. They live in photographs and states of undress. There is the attire of an harlot. Women, you should be giving your hearts and minds to expressing the holiness and the righteousness from your heart in those things that you wear. And a husband could praise and thank God if he's got a woman who dresses with a beautiful simplicity and modesty before God. Tragedy is so many men want to wear their women like they wear flashy clothing. You should be protecting your wives and your daughters. There is such a thing as the attire of an harlot. It goes on to describe her as subtle of heart, loud and stubborn, and her feet abide not in her house. We not see the glory and the beauty of the godly and virtuous woman that you find her. Her primary domain is in her home. Yes, she, she deals with the merchants. She deals with the vendors. There are legitimate reasons for being out of the home. But not simply because they're just out on the town. She says to the young man, Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the goodman is not home. He's gone a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. Oh, what a great blessing to thank God for a faithful woman. All of this should be beginning to sound somewhat familiar because we spent a couple of weeks looking at the, the, the blessed characteristics of the virtuous woman in, in chapter 31. And we see, as we look at the, the whorish woman, the strange woman, the evil woman, as we look at these kinds of women, we see a, a stark contrast. And it's not just because, well, I've decided I want to take control of my life and, and just do things a little differently. It's because they love their God. They believe the promises of God. They trust the living Christ. They trust the resurrected Lord of glory. He is their guide. He is their wisdom. He is their justification, their sanctification. They love Him. They want Him. They struggle to have that time in the Word. And they find it in Christ. Oh, what an extraordinary comparison. If we were to take all of these things negatively about women that are said and compare them to the virtuous woman, it would make any child stand and revere a virtuous mother. It would make any husband praise his virtuous wife. And children and men, I urge you to do so. I urge you to do... Don't just hear this and go, yeah, nice sermon, and then remember maybe Mother's Day or, oh, I remembered your birthday this year. But regularly, thank God for her and let her know that. Build her with your words and your deeds. Is this not what Christ is doing to His church? Does He not speak to us to build us? Even His reproofs are aimed not at getting back. Not, oh, you said that to me last week, so I'm going to say this to you this time. Oh, you brought this up in our last argument. I'm going to bring this up in this argument. Oh, 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 you really stuck me with that last one. I've been waiting. I've been holding this one. I've been waiting just for the moment. And now, mm, take that. If I didn't have to counsel over the last few years, I might have I might have said, oh, some of that is hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. 
We've seen too many people dissolving in tears as they talk about the wounding they do to one another. Oh, thank God if you, God has given you a woman with the law of kindness in her tongue. A mouth that speaks wisdom to you and to your children. Praise and bless the holy God. Well, we're out of time. There's a woman without discretion. There, uh, uh, We could spend time on that, but uh, there is no need. We will no doubt come back to that passage at another time. But let us close with just a few thoughts regarding virtuous women in Proverbs and then the closing comments by Lemuel's mother. In chapter 11, verse 16, it tells us that the gracious woman retaineth honor. The gracious woman retaineth honor. Chapter 12, verse 4 says, A virtuous woman, it's the same word, is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. A virtuous woman is a crown, a crown to her husband. Obviously, it's the ornament, of the, the ornament of the head. That which you see. Oh, sisters, if you are virtuous, what a blessing, what a crown you are to your husbands. I thank the Lord for my dear wife. And I thank the Lord that she is indeed a crown unto me. Chapter 14, verse 1 of Proverbs says, Every wise woman buildeth her house. She buildeth her house. Men, if you have a woman like this, oh, thank God for her. Don't take this for granted. Spend a little time looking at what other women are like in the Proverbs and recognize the extraordinary mercy that God has had upon you if He has given you a wise woman. Because it says in chapter 19, verse 14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. What a great blessing. I think that I can safely say that a man may legitimately conclude that the greatest blessing in this life, apart from salvation by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, is an excellent wife, a virtuous woman. So I praise and thank the Lord that I know that this is the desire of the hearts of so many of you beloved sisters here. For the closing comments by Lemuel's mother we have spent some time on, but she finishes up by saying, oh, excuse me, verse 29 says, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. There's some argument as to who actually is saying this. I think it's I think it's clearly coming from the husband. I think this is her, his praise of her. Many daughters have done virtuously. There's some women that have done a good job out there. But you have surpassed them all. May God be able to put that on the lips of men here. And if we can't, we need to ask why. Is it that wife? Is it my leadership or lack thereof? But finally, Lemuel's mother says, Favor is deceitful. My son, the king, you need to know that beauty is vain. It all fades. It all wrinkles. It all sags. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The word praised is in these last three verses, three times, excuse me, the last four verses, three times. Her husband praises her. The woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And it says, give her the fruit of her hands. Reward her for the good things that she's done. And let her own works praise her in the gates. Let her own works praise her in the gates. The gates are where the husband meets. Quite clearly, this man is known by the, the quality of the wife that he has. 
She is part of his good reputation. Wise words for a king. Wise words for any man. And words that you sisters should take to heart. A virtuous woman is the product of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And as you meditate on His love for you, as you look upon His bleeding hands and feet and side, as you see Christ's holy sacrifice to save you from your sins, recognize that His purpose is to rule and guide your heart. What will it look like? Well, we have a precious portrait here in Proverbs 31. Give your heart to the meditation of it. Recognize that it is indeed an example, a summary. Not any one woman is all of these things all at once, all to perfection. But it is a great and grand portrait of the picture painted by the Spirit of God as He works in the hearts of women to make them virtuous. Let's pray. Holy Father, we need the Lord Jesus Christ every day, every man here and every woman. We cannot be the men we should be. We cannot be the women that we should be without the glorious grace of Christ. Oh, fill our hearts with love for Thee, Lord. Fill our souls with a burning love for Thee, a furnace of grace that serves Thee as Your Word instructs. Take these precious women. And Lord, I pray that by the, 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 the guidance and the love of the men and husbands here, we might encourage them on their journey to be the women you have called them to be. May we not be a stumbling block, but may we be, may we be a blessing to them as they are to us. Now we thank thee for our wives. We thank thee for our daughters. And I pray for all the precious young women here who have not yet... Uh, been given to a man for marriage. Lord, bless them and grow them and encourage them and strengthen them. And for those that are married and wives and mothers, oh, fill their hearts and souls and encourage their hearts and strengthen them daily with overabundant, superabundant waves of grace. And for those who are not married and who may not marry, O oh Lord, grant them joy of heart and joy of spirit yet to be the virtuous women that you have called them to be in the realm that you have given them. And may it all be to thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, 
commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.